If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the rack in front of you there. And today we're beginning a new series that picks up right where we left off at the conclusion of our previous series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are really just the first part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's really the introduction. And if you missed any of that series or any other message and you ever want to listen, you can always go to our website, philida.org, and listen to any of the messages there. But I thought since we finished the introduction, we ought to just keep on going and work our way through the whole Sermon on the Mount. So that's the plan. Uh, That's what this series will be about. And I gave it the title, He Said, What? I should probably explain that. Uh, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. This tells us what happens at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus finished proclaiming this, I want you to see what happens here. Matthew 7, 28, it says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So when people heard Jesus teach all this, they were astonished. They were amazed flabbergasted, stunned. They had never heard anyone speak the way Jesus spoke. They had never heard anyone say the things that he said. And they were just blown away. I was thinking, you know, what it must have been like for someone who was there to tell someone who wasn't there, say, you wouldn't believe this guy. And then they would reel off a few quotes that Jesus said. And I just picture the other person going, he said, what? So that's, that's where that comes from. They were blown away. And I think, I think it would be so good for us to hear Jesus the way they heard Jesus. You know, I think it's just too easy to try to reshape Jesus into something more tame, something, make what he said more palatable, more easy to hear. I think if we listen to Jesus and and we're not astonished, maybe we're just not listening carefully. So my hope would be that as we go through this, that we would hear what Jesus really said, and we would hear it the way he meant us to hear it. And if it's amazing, I want to be amazed. And if it's challenging, I want to be challenged. And if it's life-changing, I want to be changed. I, I, hope, I hope you feel the same way. And I would invite you to to pray with me that uh, we would hear Jesus just the way we ought to hear him. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's just ask him. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace just in, in speaking to us. Thank you for wanting us to know who you are and for wanting us to live in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray now that you would just, you would open up our minds, you would open up our ears, you would open up our hearts, help us hear you, and help us respond the way you would want us to. Pray you would do that by your spirit in in your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to begin this series with the very next thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. So we're going to read verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, Who is in heaven. So he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Okay, so the first thing we need to understand is that very first word you. Who is you? Who is he talking about? Well, let's just back up. Let's rewind a little bit and take a look. Matthew 5, verse 1, at the very beginning of the sermon, when he starts talking, it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So, there are crowds of people all around. There's a lot of people listening to Jesus, but he is directing his teaching mainly to his disciples, that is, his followers, And these are the people he's just been describing in those Beatitudes. These are the ones who are poor in spirit. These are the ones who mourn for their sin, the ones who are meek, the ones who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and and so on. So you, in verse 13, means those who have come to Jesus in an attitude of spiritual poverty, who realize they have no way of earning God's approval. They're spiritually bankrupt. They got nothing. And the only way they're going to get God's approval is if God gives it to them. And so they come to Jesus because that's what they want. They come to him as the one sent by God to rescue us and to rule over our lives as king. And they choose to put their trust in him. And that is what it means to be a disciple. It means to come to Jesus 
and choose to trust him with your life and to do what he says because you trust him. That's who you is. So you can be you. You can be you. Anybody can be you. What Jesus says here about salt and light, this is not just for some exclusive elite. This is for anybody who wants to be you. You can be you if you want to be. You can be the salt of the earth. You can be the light of the world. And if you have put your trust in Jesus to make you right with God and to lead your life, that is exactly what you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You notice, Jesus does not say, Hey, disciples, listen up. I have an idea. I want you to become the salt of the earth. I want you to become the light of the world. I want you to change yourselves into salt and light. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You You, my disciples, and nobody else, you have that honor. You have that role. You have that responsibility. Because you belong to me, because I have made you a member of my kingdom, because I am your king, you are the salt and light of this world. What does that mean? I'll tell you one thing it means. It means your life is really important. Your life is really important. Do you ever doubt that? Of course you do. You ever find yourself thinking you're not important? That if you weren't around... It wouldn't really make a difference? Well, if you ever think that, if you're ever thinking you don't matter, you are listening to the wrong voices. You're listening to voices in your head that aren't true. You're listening to the idle speculations of men who refuse to listen to God. That you're just molecules in motion. If you ever think you're not important, you're wrong. You're greatly mistaken. In the first place, you matter because you are created in the image of God. Just because you're human, you matter. You're made in God's image. Now, I know you're messed up. Me too. I know you're broken. I know you, th- you think bad things, and you desire bad things, and you do bad things. I know that. But you still reflect God's image, however dimly you do, because you're human. 
that alone gives you incredible significance. But beyond that, beyond that, if you have become a follower of Jesus, not only do you have significance as God's creation, your life has significance because of the difference you make just by being a follower of Jesus. See, that is the point of salt and light. Salt and light make a difference. They make a difference just by what they are. You know, what happens when you add salt to food? Your doctor gets upset. No. (laughs) You add salt to food, it makes a difference. What happens? You go in a dark room and you flip the switch, what happens? It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Well, just as salt and light make a difference, you make a difference by being a follower of Christ. So Jesus does not say, become salt and light. As a matter of fact, he really says the opposite. He says, you are salt and light, and whatever you do, don't stop being salt and light. That's his point. He's not trying to get his followers to become salt and light. He wants them to resist the temptation to stop being what they already are. Or to say it more accurately, he wants them to resist the temptation to stop acting like what they really are. You know, salt can't stop being salt but it can lose its flavor. We'll talk about how in a minute. Light can't stop being light, but it can fail to shine. And if you do that, Jesus says, if you lose your saltiness, if you fail to shine, then a terrible thing happens. Terrible thing happens. You become useless because you don't make a difference you don't influence the world the way Jesus intends that you do so I want you to hear this hear this very clearly okay you can never be worthless but you can be useless You can never be worthless, but you can be useless. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I imagine if we took a survey, we just pulled everybody in the room and said, hey, who who here would like to be regarded by Jesus, you know, the most important person in the universe, the one whose opinion counts more than anybody else's, who would like to be regarded by Jesus as useless. I'm pretty sure nobody would honestly say, yeah, yeah, I'd love to be useless. I'd really like to miss out on my whole purpose in life. I, 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 would, I would just love to completely fail to live life the way Jesus wants me to. No, nobody wants to be useless. Nobody. 
And yet that is exactly what happens if we fail to live out our identity as salt and light in this world. If we fail to act, if we fail to live what we are. And yet there are big pressures on us not to act like salt and light. Big pressures. If you're paying attention in our society, you know this. In fact, I was talking to a young lady just the other day who's a college student. They were talking in their college classroom. I forget what the class was. It was like English or something, but they were having a big, big discussion about, you know, redefining marriage to to make it different and to include same-sex unions. And this young college student who's a follower of Jesus was the only one in that room who said, "I, I don't think that's a good idea. As a follower of Jesus, as one who tries to understand what's good and what isn't good and what's right and what isn't right based on what he says. And so if you've been paying attention, you know that to put yourself out there as a follower of Jesus and to uphold what he says is right and what's good, that is to risk being labeled an idiot or intolerant or worse, a hate-filled bigot, whatever, so the pressure is on. And that's just one example. There are, there are many ways where you, to, to really live out being salt and light as followers of Jesus, the pressure will be on not to do that. So how do we resist that pressure? How do we avoid being useless to Jesus? Well, he tells us. He gives us two descriptions of uselessness to avoid. That is, salt that has lost its saltiness and light that is hidden. So let's, let's uh, look at these one at a time and learn how to avoid being useless. Okay? So first, to avoid being as useless as, as unsalty salt, don't go along. Don't go along, meaning don't go along with the world. Don't go along with the world's values, priorities. Don't do that. Now, let's think about it. Let me try to explain that. When you and I think of salt, we think mainly of salt as seasoning. Okay? Why do you salt food? To make it taste better. But back in the day when Jesus was teaching... Salt was not mainly for flavor. Salt was for preserving. It's for preserving. So people, and you think about it, okay? No refrigerators, no freezers. You've got fresh meat. What do you do? Well, you either got to eat it all right now, or it's going to go bad. Or you salt it. And that's what they would do. They would, they would salt meat, fish. Uh, to keep it from spoiling. In fact, today, if you're going to preserve meat and smoke it or something, you have to soak it in brine to cure it, brine of salt water. So when Jesus told his followers, you are the salt of the earth, this is what they would have heard. This is what they would have thought of. You are the preservative of the earth. You help keep the world from spoiling. 
by living life the way I want you to live, according to my values, my priorities, you help slow down the rotting of society. The world is rotting because of sin. It's rotting away morally, spiritually, ethically, relationally. But Jesus' disciples, because they love Him, and because they they live out His truth, they counteract that rotting process. So, in other words, because Christ is in us, and this is so crucial to get, because Christ is in us and because Christ is changing us, we are able to influence the world for good. For good. By just embracing His truth, trusting Him enough to live it out. Here, here's, just, here's just an example from Romans chapter 12. I mean, we could just look at countless examples, but here's, here's one. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't settle our own accounts, we let God settle accounts. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Christians make a difference by being different. Christians make a difference by being different. Morally, spiritually, ethically, relationally. So, Christian husbands loving their wives unconditionally. Christian wives treating their husbands with respect unconditionally. Christians loving their neighbors, keeping their promises, forgiving people who wrong them, praying for those who persecute them, living out the grace of God, pursuing honesty, integrity, responsibility, kindness, forgiveness, respect, faithfulness. And when they fail to admit it and do what they can to make it right. Living out the reality of Christ. See, it's, it's being different from the world because of Christ. That's what makes us salty. Being different because of Christ. Okay, so what would it mean to be unsalty? What would it mean, what would make us unsalty? Well, technically, you can't make salt unsalty. Yeah, all you budding chemists, go home and try it. Take some sodium chloride and try to make it unsalty. You really can't. But you can contaminate it. And that was the problem in Jesus' day. The way they harvested salt, sometimes the salt was contaminated with all kinds of impurities, 
and then you couldn't use it as a preservative because it wasn't salty enough. It wasn't pure enough. It was useless. So, what then would contaminate Christians and make them useless as the salt of the earth, as the preservative of the earth? Not being different. Going along with the world. Living life just exactly the way people live it who don't know Jesus. Spending the money the same way, doing our jobs the same way, treating our relationships, our spouses, our kids the same way, uh, making excuses for lies, anger, lust, gossip, breaking promises, just going along. Going with the flow. Same way. Not being different. No difference makes us useless. Useless. Doesn't make us worthless. Okay? We can never be that. Jesus will never stop loving us. But here's the thing. If we go along with the world and we stop being different morally, ethically, spiritually, relationally, if we stop being different, Jesus might very well say to us, sorry, I can't use you. I can't use you because you don't trust me. You don't trust me to live life the way I've told you to live it. And so you're not different. You're not a good influence. So don't go along. Don't get your standards from the world. Get them from Christ. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What renews your mind? The Word of God. The truth of God. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good? What if I mean that's a big argument today? How do we know what good is? Oh, nobody knows what good is. It's all a matter of opinion. Really? How do we decide what's good? We got two options. We figure it out for ourselves or we listen to God. Don't go along. Don't go along. All right, let's look at Jesus' second description of uselessness. And that is a light that is hidden. Okay, so to avoid being as useless as a hidden light, don't go away. Don't go away. Now, this is the opposite temptation from what we've just been talking about. Instead of becoming like the world, disconnecting from the world. Don't make contact, don't get involved, don't interact, just withdraw, isolate yourself. Yeah, I hear, you know, this is, this is a very real temptation for some of us. It's the bigger temptation, especially if you're trying not to go along with the world. Because it's easier to just go away. I'll hear Christians say that. I'm just so sick and tired of this world. I just want to find a place in the world where nobody else lives and go build myself a a castle with a moat. But see, that's not an option. Because Jesus says we're the light of the world. 
We're the light of the world. Light only works when you shine it, not when you hide it. You don't light a lamp and cover it up, Jesus said. Actually, and this is actually true of both salt and light, okay? There is no impact without contact. There's no impact without contact. We cannot influence our neighbors if they never see us. We can't influence our neighbors if we never talk to them. We can't influence our coworkers if we avoid them. We can't influence our community if we isolate ourselves. You'll notice the last part of what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, let your light shine before others. In other words, in their presence. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is challenging on a whole bunch of levels. But notice what it's saying. In order to shine the light, in order to shine the light, we have to do things that are good. Do your good works, your good deeds, and the good things we do have to be seen. They have to be seen. Now, that raises a problem because, you know, why, why do we want people to see our good works? Well, the temptation is want them to see our good works so they'll think we're awesome. Aren't I awesome? Look, look at that good thing I just did. That's not what Jesus says. This is a different motive. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. We want people to see good, not so they'll think we're awesome, but so they'll think God is awesome. God is awesome. How do we do that? Well, clearly we've got to be praying. Can't do this on our own. And then we've got to, we've got to look. We've got to intentionally look for opportunities. And then we've got to take those opportunities when they come. All right, now, we, we happen to have some really good opportunities coming up. You know, we've got this whole My Hope America thing, seeking to reach out to our neighbors. But here's the deal. If we want our neighbors to listen to us, we, we have to make contact. We have to get to know them. We have to love them and show love to them. You know, this is not a call to, you know, running these little you know what you call it, the little, uh, you know, en- sorties over into enemy territory and then running back, but <laughs> actually making contact. And then we've got the Operation Christmas Child packing party coming up. We really want to get as many people from our community as we can to come in and just help us pack Christmas gifts for poor kids. That's another opportunity. But look, those are just special opportunities. Okay, we really, we really need to be praying and looking for opportunities all the time because there is no impact without contact. Becky Pippert uh, was a, an evangelist. Years ago, she wrote a book. I just love the title of it, Out of the Salt Shaker. If the salt's in the salt shaker just sitting on the, you know, the shelf, it doesn't do anything. And if the light's covered up, it doesn't do anything. Useless. Jesus says, don't be useless. You know, this is an amazing thing Jesus is saying to us. It's an amazing thing. 
that if we belong to Him, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. That is incredible. What an amazing privilege. And what a huge responsibility. We have been chosen by Christ to make a difference in this world for good. We are not just waiting around for the rapture, for the second coming of Christ. I remember a a guy speaking at Western Seminary one time, and he was comparing the Christian life to a baseball game. And he said, you know, when you... When you reach somebody for Christ, or you, you first get in relationship with Christ. You put your trust in Him. That's like first base. But you don't go to first base and then say, I'm done, and go to the dugout and wait for the game to end. you got to keep running the bases. And then he talked about what those other bases are, but making a difference. We've been chosen by Christ to make a difference in this world for good. He says, we're salt and light. We're salt and light. Don't ever stop being salt and light. Don't stop. Don't go along with the world and fail to be different. Don't go away from the world and fail to make contact. Just keep being what Jesus says you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And nobody else is. Christ in us. Now, I just encourage you, when we're done, take some time, interact with others, and say, okay, uh, being the salt of the earth, being different, what, what kind of difference would that be? What would that look like? You know, because there are lots of ways you can be different. Jesus isn't saying just be weird, but be different in a way that makes a difference for Christ. How do we shine our light? How do we do good deeds that people will see and give glory to God? What would those be? Great opportunity for us to discuss and to encourage each other with this. Because you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Jesus said it. He really did. Let's pray. I just, I wouldn't want to let the opportunity to go by to ask if you're here this morning and you have not yet come to Jesus and said, I am spiritually bankrupt, I cannot earn God's approval but I want to put your, my trust in you to, to give me that, to make me right with God. Because of your death on the cross, Jesus, because you paid the price that I can't pay, you are offering me complete forgiveness. You are offering me a relationship with God. You are offering me your very presence in my life. I want that. And if you're here today and that describes you, I would just encourage you to just ask Christ to do what he came to do, to rescue you and to rule over your life. If you ask him, he will.
The Bible promises that. And if you want to talk to somebody about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Just come and see me right after the service or talk to the friend you're with. And then those of us who have placed our trust in Christ and Jesus is telling us we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's pray. Let's ask him. I just want to give you a moment right now to talk to him. Ask him to help you be different the way he wants you to be different and to shine and make contact the way he wants you to. Let's just pray and ask the Lord whatever is on our heart right now. Lord Jesus, help us live what you say we are. Lord, let us be as salty as we can be. Help us shine as brightly as we can. Lord, only you in us can make that true. So we we just ask you to do it in us and for your glory. Amen.